sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by the Reverend Douglas Cornelius. Well, we continue in our series uh, to our final week, actually, our week four. We've been looking at God's promise to us over the past three weeks, and this morning brings us to a text in our New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, beginning with verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Such is the confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are competent of ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. Our competence is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of letter, but of spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, chiseled in letters on stone tablets, came in glory so that the people of Israel could not gaze at Moses' face because of the glory of his face, a glory now set aside. How much more will the ministry of the Spirit come in glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, much more does the ministry of justification abound in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The other day, my daughter Annabelle and I were outside, and she wanted to play some games, some outside games. She wanted to race and to kick a soccer ball and to jump over a pile of sticks and then walk down an old sidewalk but not step on any of the cracks. You know, fun kid stuff, stuff that little kids like to do outside. And then at some point she decided she wanted to turn these games into little competitions. So she turned to me and she said, okay, daddy, listen up. I got a game And here's what you do. You have to run your fastest and jump over that pile of sticks and then touch the tree. And whoever does that the fastest wins. I said, oh, okay. Uh, Sounds good. Let's do it. And I know you'll be fast, but I'm going to do my best to beat you. And she looked at me with just absolute confidence in her face. And she said, no, I'm going to win. I said, whoa, uh, well, all right. I, I said, I don't know, baby. I'm, I'm pretty fast. And then she got even more confident and even more stern and said, no, I will win. I know because I'm faster than you. And my first thought as the dad of a young daughter is, hey, you go, girl. That's good. I like that attitude. I like that confidence. But my second thought was, where is this confidence coming from? Like, you know, she's four. 
She doesn't have a long history of athletic triumphs in her life, right? Over difficult competition. She's, she's never played a team sport. She doesn't have any younger siblings that she always beats at games or something like that. There's this confidence there. I'm going to win. Where does that come from? And I mean, I'm not that old, right? I mean, come on, she's four years old, you know? Uh, I thought, where, where is she getting this confidence from? She's never competed in anything against me, but she was sure that she was going to win. So yes, we did compete in the game. And the first time, I let her win. Yeah, that's the kind of dad I am. You know, give her, give her a little confidence. You know, she was very happy. The second time, I decided, I'm going to win this one. <laughs> and so I did. And she cried. <laughs> and I ended up nursing a pulled muscle in my leg for the next 48 <laughs> hours. I'm not joking about that. So you see, my daughter was wrong. It turns out in this game, nobody wins. That's a, but where did that confidence come from? I love it. But where did it come from? We have spent the last three weeks discussing God's promise to us, God's people, and God's promise through his people to the whole world. The promise that he will be our God and we will be his people and through his people, all the families of the world, all the nations will be blessed. And it started with Abram, Abraham and the, this foreshadowing glimpse as God initiates the covenant relationship and also alludes to the fact that when we don't keep it, God will still hold up the promise, hold up the covenant on our behalf. And we traced it down through Moses and through the establishment of the law, which factors into today's text. But the law, while meant to help us outwardly show this inner truth that we are God's people, the law itself only served to highlight the fact that we are unable to keep it, actually, to stay true to the covenant, to hold up our end of the promise. And as Jonathan so eloquently uh, explicated last week, by the time of Jeremiah and the looming Babylonian exile, Israel has been caught in their sin, caught with their hand in the cookie jar, so to speak, and they have turned away from God so often and so completely that they are almost unrecognizable as God's people, says Jeremiah. And there's now going to be a sort of reckoning, and the instrument of justice and judgment will be the Babylonian Empire. But as Jonathan said last week, Jeremiah also offers hope in the midst of this despair, telling Israel that a new covenant is coming a turn in things, the same promise, but a new direction. It's really just a new plan for an old promise. And that new covenant, that new plan is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When the forgiveness that God foreshadowed in that old Abrahamic covenant 
That forgiveness is accomplished in Jesus Christ through his cross and through his resurrection. And now in his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is attempting to understand what that means for the people of God. The people of God who now have a new look and a new makeup. It's no longer solely the nation of Israel, but the new covenant people now includes Jews, Gentiles, anyone in the world. And this new community actually would have been well represented in the church in Corinth. And Paul is saying, okay, we have this new covenant It's been fulfilled once and for all in Jesus Christ. God has kept his promise on his end and also for us in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. So now what? Now what? And Paul opens his passage, our passage this morning, with some astonishing words. Such is the confidence we have toward God. Such is the confidence we have toward God. And I want to say, Paul, you need to read your Bible. You need to go back and read the Old Testament. Of course, Paul knew the Old Testament very well. He was a Pharisee, right, before he was an apostle for Christ. But I want to say, haven't you been paying attention, Paul? I mean, since the very beginning, we have actually done a terrible job of being God's people, of holding up our end of the bargain. We've messed it up over and over again. Paul, you're writing to Corinth, a church that we know from your first letter to the Corinthians is having trouble getting it right. They're having trouble living as God's people. And so this problem, it's always been in our hearts. It's still in our hearts. How... How, Paul, can we have any confidence before our God? I mean, where would that confidence come from? Where would it come from? But there are two key words that I left out when I read that verse, right? He says, such is the confidence we have through Christ toward God through Christ. Because you see, Christ fulfilled the promise. Christ did what we weren't able to do. He actually held up our end of the promise. And when that second flame passed through that covenant aisle way back with Abram, that flame was looking ahead towards Jesus Christ. And Abraham didn't know it at the time. Jeremiah didn't know it when he predicted the new covenant would come. But Paul, Paul has seen it and heard it. Paul knows what God's plan was. He knows the new direction of this promise, this new twist in the covenant. And for Paul, for us, this changes everything. Everything is changed. And so Paul invites us to understand that change. He's un- to understand that Christ has fulfilled this promise. And we are, can now be confident 
in our covenant with God because there's a spirit alive and working in us, bringing life where before there was death. He says in verse 5, we're not confident because of our own competence, right? It's not anything that we've done. It's not because of our ability to keep the promise or to keep the covenant, to do the right thing, to live as God's people. We're not confident in ourselves. We're confident in, in Christ. Because the letter kills, says Paul. The letter of the law, the words of the law written on stone tablets, chiseled in there, Paul says that was a ministry of death. He says it right there in verse 7. A ministry of death. The covenant would only point out our failure only lead to condemnation, but God has made this shift in Jesus Christ, just as Jeremiah prophesied. And the shift from a ministry of keeping the law to a ministry of the Spirit's work in our hearts, forming us, molding us, shaping us, transforming us into people of the promise. Now it may be possible to live as God wants us to live because of what Christ has done. Paul's hopeful message is even brighter than the one in Jeremiah. It's that God will glorify this new ministry. What he's saying is if God saw fit to glorify that old promise, that old covenant, the law, which, which would only lead to our condemnation, if God saw fit to glorify that in such a way that the people of Israel couldn't even look on Moses' face after he received the covenant promise. That's how glorified he was just in receiving it. If God saw fit to glorify that ministry, how much more will he glorify a ministry of forgiveness, a ministry where the Spirit is at work in our hearts and in our lives, a ministry of of life, not one that leads to condemnation and death, one that leads to forgiveness and life. God will glorify this new covenant, Paul says, and its ministers. And its ministers. And he's not just talking about Jonathan and I, right? The pastors up front. The ministers are every single one of us doing the ministry and that's the now what? I mean, we spent four weeks in worship talking about this, the promise of God, right? That's a lot of time to spend thinking about one thing. Four Sunday mornings in a row on the same topic. Why did we spend all that time doing it? Well, I had three reasons, and I'm going to close with this, and I want you to pay attention, church, because these reasons are important, all right? Three reasons that we talked about the promise of God. The first one is this, because this is the gospel. Right? It's the good news. And if we want to understand the good news of what God has done for the world in Jesus Christ, we cannot hope to understand it without understanding the promise that it came out of. We can't understand the good news without understanding the story of how we got there, how we got to Jesus. If we don't understand that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of a promise that God made long ago, that reaches back to the 
beginning of God's story with humanity, then we've missed the fullness of the good news. So first we looked at it because it is the gospel. It is part of the gospel story. Second, we looked at it for the so now what that we just got today. Because when Paul asks, okay, we've got a new covenant, now what? That's not just Paul's question to answer, that's our question to answer. We are children of the new promise, the new covenant in Jesus Christ, now what? And Paul says in verse six that God, through Christ and through the work of the Spirit, has made us competent to be ministers of the new covenant. And that's the so what. That's the now what. We are living under this new covenant. We are children of the promise made new. We are blessed by God's faithful keeping of his end of the covenant and his gracious holding up of our end. And now we have a job to do as the church. We have a job to be ministers of this new covenant, shaped by the promise, claimed by the promise, extending God's love, grace, and mercy to the whole world, the whole world that is now invited to be part of that covenant relationship. And finally, and I'll close with this, finally, we spent four weeks studying God's promise because we are about to enter Lent this Wednesday evening. And I do hope you'll join us for that incredibly important worship service, but as we enter Lent this Wednesday night, and then we continue through it for several weeks as we head towards Easter, what we will realize along the way is that we cannot understand the need and the importance and the gravity of Lent of Holy Week, of a betrayal, of a cross, of an empty tomb. We can't truly understand the significance of these things unless we understand that they were all done by a God who was keeping a promise. The whole story of Jesus Christ is the story of a God who is keeping a promise to you. And to me and to our world a God who no matter how hard we tried would not let that promise fail that is the story of Lent it's the story of Holy Week and Easter that is why we study the promise before we head into that season and that is the story of Jesus Christ our Lord and our confidence before God and our ministry to the world that is where it comes from Amen